This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to The Way Forward. I'm Jack Otter here with Spuds Powell, Managing Director at Kane Anderson Rudnick, a Los Angeles-based independent advisory firm. Spuds has about $37 billion under management, along with the rest of the firm, of course, and is our number one ranked independent advisor on the Barron's list. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for getting on the podcast with me, Spuds. Jack, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to join you today. Uh, So it seems like we really ought to start with what's going on in the market right now. Uh, So much turmoil and volatility. Uh, What's your outlook on that? You know, it's uh, it's a pretty surreal environment. Uh, if you think back over the past six months and all that's happened and kind of how we've gotten to where we are today, it's pretty mind-blowing. You know, had you told me on January 1st that in the first half of this year, we'd uh, see our president get impeached. We would see uh, a global pandemic. We'd lose over 40 million jobs here in the United States. We'd see tens of thousands of businesses close. We'd see the price of oil fall off a cliff and actually get to negative numbers. (laughs) And then more recently, we'd see a wave of a nationwide wave of of protesting and civil unrest. I I wouldn't have believed you. It seems almost impossible to believe. But that's kind of how we've gotten to where we are today. You know, our outlook in the short term is very unclear. You know, I can see scenarios where stocks sell off 10, 20 percent. I can also see scenarios where the stock market rallies 10 or 20% before the end of the year. A lot of that will have to do with the, the impact that the virus has on the economy and the reopening of the economy. But as we look out over the course of the next two years and beyond, we feel quite bullish about the prospects for the equity markets. You know, it's interesting uh, that you say you could see it going up as much as 20 or down as much as 20, because I don't recall a time when I've spoken to so many people who had so much conviction in either direction. Uh, you know, some real serious, a lot of very serious bears out there. And then a lot of people think, oh, well, this is, if not a blip, just um, a market that that took a hit and now is correctly pricing in a fairly optimistic future. One really strong characteristic of the market is that tech has been so dominant. Um, it is becoming an increasingly large share of the weighting of the S&P 500. And on the one hand, I think, well, that makes sense, right? If you think about the future and what will dominate the economy, it's probably those asset light tech-oriented firms. On the other hand, as a contrarian investor, you think, gee, it doesn't seem right to bet on a trend that has been going on for this long. How do you think about it when you're investing for clients? In general, we're still in the camp of those folks who are bullish on on technology. Uh, That said, we've never made big bets on sectors. Um, Our philosophy and our methodology here at Kane Anderson Rudnick is to roll up our sleeves and and do a lot of research and due diligence and build portfolios of of individual stocks, fairly concentrated portfolios of individual stocks. And so we take that sort of bottoms-up approach. But in general, as we look at the sort of post-COVID world, we, we feel like there are a lot of examples of technology companies that are benefiting from the the changes that are taking place, uh, still priced at reasonable valuations and present some attractive upside potential. Are there sectors that uh, have not been as popular where you're seeing opportunity? 
technology would be the one sector that would come to mind. Obviously, whatever sector you're in, uh, your clients have had to put up with some serious volatility recently. Uh, how did, are they worried? How do you put that into context for them? Yeah, clients are definitely worried. Uh, there's no question about that. And uh, you know, going back to March, I you know I would argue that most of my clients were sort of suffering through a wave of extreme worry, if not panic. And uh, you know that that's a, a really difficult environment to, to to deal with because I've always felt that the greatest risk investors face is making the mistake of letting their emotion influence their judgment. And back in March, we saw a lot of irrational fear influencing people's judgment. Uh, not only did the equity markets sell off across the board, you know, kind of regardless of what industry you're in or or whether you are a, a really healthy business or not, but we saw some strange things happen like bonds selling off and gold selling off. You know, traditionally speaking, when investors get nervous and sell equities, they they tend to migrate into asset classes like fixed income and gold. Sure. But given the extreme degree of sort of fear-driven selling, people just want to go to cash. And so we saw a lot of sort of panic-driven behavior. And, and you know, my feeling has always been that at a time like that, it's, it's important to ground investors and provide them with some longer-term, unemotional, rational perspective. So, you know, one of the things that I've been talking to clients of mine about is the fact that Historically speaking, the stock market always has periods within each calendar year where equities decline in value. And if you looked at the data, what you'd find is the average intra-year decline for equities is roughly 14%. And that's just the average. So despite the fact that the equity markets generate positive returns in roughly 75% of calendar years, there's always a period within those years where stocks pull back. I also point out to clients that if you look at a longer term perspective, we've seen many bear markets, many bull markets. The average bull market lasts roughly 8.9 years. And during those bull markets, equities tend to rally approximately 400%. The average bear market lasts roughly 1.3 years. And during those equity declines, stocks fall back by roughly 41%. So over the long term, the good times far outweigh the bad times. And it's important during a, an environment like the one that we're in today to realize that, you know, this too shall pass and being patient and unemotional uh, has traditionally proven to be the best course of action. So, Spuds, when all that forced selling was going on and people were indiscriminately selling gold, bonds, stocks, whatever, uh, were, were you a provider of liquidity, happy to pick up some bargains for your clients? Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that that we... Uh, spend a lot of energy on is identifying individual companies that we would love to buy and and then wait to, to find those great buying opportunities. And and certainly March and, and early April presented some of those great buying opportunities. You know, at a time where there is a lot of panic-driven selling, there are lots of, of examples of lousy companies that deserve to see their stock prices be, beaten up, but there are also examples of really excellent companies that that don't deserve to see their stock prices beaten up. And those tended to present some really great buying opportunities for us. Now, that's great. Well, what's the biggest question that you've been receiving from clients throughout all this? There's probably two that come to mind, Jack. Um, first is, how could the stock market possibly be doing as well as it has since the beginning of April, given just how much the economy is suffering? 
That's a great question. Yeah. And, 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 you know, my response is, is, is to kind of remind investors that the stock market is a forward looking creature. People make investment decisions today based upon their expectations for six to 12 months down the road. And, and when investors are deciding what to do with their capital, they tend to focus a lot more on whether new information is better or worse than they anticipated as opposed to focusing on whether new information is good news or bad news. And to me, the, the month of April represents about the best example of that in my career. You know, I would argue that, that literally every day during the month of April, we got more bad news about the economy. Yeah. We learned about more people getting sick and more people passing away and more people losing their jobs and, and more businesses closing. And yet, despite that, the stock market had one of its better monthly returns in decades. And, and to me, that's an indication that by the time March ended, investors really expected the worst, you know, whether it was the, the second Great Depression, whether it was an unemployment rate that increased to 25 or 30 percent, you know, whether it would take two years or longer to develop a vaccine. A lot of that sort of extreme negativity was priced into the markets. So even though the news we were gathering in April was really terrible news, because it was less bad than people anticipated, the stock market rallied a lot right, right when people least expected it to. And then which the is how it question, always seemed to happen, right? <laughs> which is the way it always seems to happen. You know, yeah. it's that, that classic uh, sort of herd mentality. Um, the, the other question that I, I, I get quite a bit is, well, what's everyone else doing? What are your other clients doing? <laughs> you know, I think a lot of my clients are comforted when they, then when they, they kind of find out what other people with in similar circumstances have, have done during this difficult environment. Is there anything, obviously, you, you're doing all the things that you probably told your clients you would do in tough times, which is, you know, not do anything emotional, look for bargains if they were being offered. Uh, that said, have you made any changes to your approach as a result of what's transpired over the past few months? I wouldn't say that I've made any significant changes. Um, you know, certainly I've been communicating more often than than normal. I think it's critically important at a time like this one to to be communicating with clients. And during all those conversations, um, you know, I, I place more emphasis on sort of the emotional sides of those conversations. You know, how how are you feeling? Uh, have have you or anyone in your family contracted this vi virus? Um, you know, what keeps you up at night? Those are the sort of conversations that 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 clients want to have, and and they tend to be a little bit less focused on on why the value of their investments has has changed. So more proactive communication and and, and appealing more to the emotional side of those conversations. Uh, so that leads me to a question that that you may have just answered. But uh, what are the, the the things that an inexperienced advisor might be doing now that he or she shouldn't be the the do nots of your industry? Yeah, one of the things that I think some advisors might be making the mistake of doing is is sort of going into a bunker and and kind of going dark. You know, this is a time, as I mentioned, where we need to be proactively communicating to clients as much as ever if not more so than ever before. They want to hear from us. They want to be reassured. They, they want to be reminded of some of the tried and true investment principles that will help them navigate through this challenging time. And, um, and those are hard conversations to have. And so, 
you know, I suspect that some younger, less experienced advisors might be making the mistake of, of not being as proactive with their communication. And then the second thing that comes to my mind is, is the same mistake a lot of investors make where, where some advisors may, may fall into the, into the trap of letting their fears and concerns influence their recommendations. And they may lose sight of the importance of, of making investment decisions with a, at least a medium term investment time horizon in mind and, and sort of understanding and recognizing that our country and our economy have suffered through countless really scary times. And fortunately, we've always proven to be extremely resilient and, uh, and, and reminding themselves that we'll get through this. And, 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 and it's important that advisors sort of share that perspective and sort of a calm, comforting, unemotional message with their clients. And it looks like uh, that's what the market believes right now. Uh, interesting, your point about calling. Uh, one advisor said to us, you need to pick up the phone when it's heaviest, uh, which is, I think, what you were saying there. Exactly. I want to pivot to, to the, the Spuds Powell backstories. Uh, looking back, can you tell us how you grew your business, how you came to work with your current client base? I'm happy to. So I started my career in 1993 in the financial services world. And thankfully, I've loved every bit of it since then. I joined Keen Anderson Rudnick approximately 17 years ago. And at the time, my family and I relocated from the Bay Area down to Los Angeles, where we live today. And um, I grossly underestimated the, the importance of having a good network and having a, a lot of good contacts. I basically was starting from a standstill in terms of developing those relationships and that network. Um, and so the first year or two were really difficult. Uh, but fortunately, beginning in that second year, I, I had developed some great relationships with a few advisors at Fidelity Investments. And over the course of the next few years, generated a lot of referrals through that channel. And then as things progressed and evolved, um, I started to develop a niche working with affluent single women, uh, most of whom are either widows or who have um, been divorced. And so today, roughly 30 to 35% of my clients happen to be single wealthy women. And then over the course of the last four or five years, I've also developed a second niche where I'm working with a variety of different institutions. These tend to be 10 to $50 million endowments, foundations, and, and have developed some great new clients from the, the boards and finance committees of those institutions. Back in November, uh, Barron's did an interview with you and your assets were around $30 billion. Uh, today, it's $37 billion and the market's not really up from there. So what has led to that pretty dramatic inflow in a fairly short, tumultuous time? We are very proud of the growth that we've been able to generate during this difficult marketplace. Uh, we've seen net inflows of new assets of, of approaching $3 billion so far year to date. And you know, I think it's a reflection of, of a couple of things. First of all, because of the wave of panic-driven selling in, in March, April, and May, there has been a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. And all of us have been reminded of the importance of risk management and, and the importance of, 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 of allocating capital in a way that minimizes pain during a difficult environment like the one that we've suffered through. And that happens to be Kane Anderson Rudnick's greatest strength. We have proven for 36 years now to be great at playing defense during an environment like the one we're in today. 
And so fortunately, our clients relative performance this year has been outstanding. And so as a lot of these investors have gone to cash and are now more focused than ever before on on on, on risk management, uh, thankfully, many of them have been introduced to Keen Anderson Rudnick and, and the strength that we have in preserving capital during recessions and bear markets. And, and that's led to a pretty significant amount of new assets flowing into the firm. Uh, so mostly referrals. Mostly, yeah, mostly referrals. I'd say 98% of, of my clients have been referred to me. Uh, so you said your investment philosophy has remained mostly the same through the, the pandemic. Uh, has your approach to business changed at all? Well, I guess the one change that I can think of has been to to take advantage of the great business development opportunity that exists for us today. You know, as I mentioned, we have proven for a long, long time to be great at protecting client capital during scary times. And we've walked that walk again this year. And with the massive amount of cash sitting on the sidelines, uh, that presents some really excellent business development opportunities for our wealth advisory group. What, what about uh, in terms of working with your team, working from home? Uh, did you have that technology in place? Was there a March scramble and, and how's it been working? Fortunately, we were ahead of the curve on that. Uh, so yes, we did have the technology in place. Um, and, and I have been shocked, quite frankly, at how efficient and productive our company has been able to perform during this challenging time. This is now the 15th week that everyone in our firm has been working from home. And, um, and obviously, we wouldn't have grown as dramatically as we have so far this year had we not been able to work effectively and productively from home. Um, I have always been a big believer in providing my team with a lot of independence and a lot of discretion to perform their duties the way they feel is optimal. And, you know, that sort of approach has also proven to be very helpful during a time like this one. To me, the, the greatest challenge associated with working from home is maintaining really healthy communication with my team. And, you know, thankfully with technology like Zoom, we've been able to do a pretty good job of that. But I assume you have to you have to plan for that a little bit more, right? You're not bumping into anybody at the water cooler. So so have you scheduled regular one-on-ones with everybody? Not so much one-on-ones. We do have a regular weekly, what we call our Monday meeting, where every Monday I get together with my team um, for about an hour and a half. And you know, having that on the schedule week in, week out has proven to be, I think, really vital in terms of maintaining good communication during this tough time. Uh, where do you see your business in five years, or where do you hope to see your business in five years? Well, fortunately, I've been blessed with some with some really amazing clients and and folks that I love working with. Um, I, I pride myself on on developing really great, close, and trusting relationships with my clients. And my expectation is that that trend will continue going forward. Uh, i've been I've been very lucky to experience significant growth say over the last five years. And I am more confident than ever before that we'll be able to continue that that same high level of growth for the next five years. But for me, a really critical part of that is developing, you know, the right relationships with the right clients. Because, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. And the thing that I love most about what I do is the interaction with clients. 
And uh, I want to continue to be selective about the clients that we bring on. Let me ask you about that. That brings up an interesting question. On, during the onboarding process, or really, really, I guess before that, when you're being interviewed, when you're interviewing a client, what are some signals that maybe this is a relationship that would be best left to an advisor with a different approach? To me, the two things that I tend to look for would be investors that are either unreasonable. In terms of their expectations for returns or? There are expectations for a variety of different things. You know, okay. it could be their expectations for returns. Although in those cases, I tend to be very direct and very blunt. If, if somebody has unreasonable performance expectations, I'm very quick to point out to them why I think that's unreasonable. And I'm, I'm also quick to point out that if, if that's the sort of expectation they have, then we're probably not going to be a good fit for them. Uh, but the other thing that I, I tend to look for, which is you know a, a harder red flag to flush out, would be individuals who have unreasonable expectations for, for either service or responsiveness or, um, and, and it's thankfully, it's extremely rare to have people who are unreasonable or the other quality I look for is, is ungrateful. Um, but every so often there are folks like that. And in those cases, it's clear to me that there is no way that I or any other wealth advisor would ever be able to make them happy. And those are situations where I find that it's better for them and it's better for us if we we just don't engage initially. Uh, well, Spuds, you have been to enough Barron's events to know uh, that we wrap up a discussion by asking for a final actionable idea. Uh, so I bet you have one prepared for us. I do. I've thought about it. And, and the one that comes to mind for me, given the environment that we're working in today, where so many of us are, are working from home, is, is don't make the mistake of compromising your family life and your family situation while working from home. You know, it's all too easy for us to, is to, let, you know, to let our work life meld into our personal family life while we're working from home. And you know, I'm a big believer in separating my work mode from my family mode. And so that would be the one recommendation I'd have today. Uh, I, I got to press you on that because if I, if I had to identify the single most difficult part of this whole episode for me, it's juggling exactly that. H how do you do it? Do you just set a hard stop on work or what, what's your technique? It's been tough. It's been really tough. I, um, you know, I'm blessed with a wonderful wife and four teenage kids Oof. and <laughs> that comes with lots of demands and, and, um, a lot of chaos at times. And, and so it can be difficult, but, um, I have started my day while working from home earlier than I used to. I'm usually, uh, sort of checked into my work mode by about five thirty or six o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, that gives me say a two to two and a half hour jump on my work day before the rest of the family wakes up. And then, you know, I'm very disciplined about shutting things off come hell or high water by about 5.30 to 6 o'clock at, at the evening. And, um, and it's a very high priority for me. It's something that I'm focused on. And, and thankfully, it's something that I've uh, been disciplined about sticking with. And this time of year, that leaves uh, plenty of time to still throw the ball in, in the light. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's a great approach. I totally agree. Uh, Spuds, thank you so much for your insights. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will be back next week with another newsletter and another episode of The Way Forward.
This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. 